parents, before you release your children, uh, we will not have children's worship today. We will not have treehouse today um, due to a last-minute change of direction. Mr. David Eanes, our children's minister, is out sick today. So, children, you are invited and welcomed and wanted right here. And so we trust that the Lord will work through our time together to indeed show us Christ. So let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning. Where else can we go? Where else would we want to go? Where else should we go but to the words of the living God? We want to hear from God. So this morning we're in John's Gospel, John chapter 13. Looking at verses 34 and 35. And last Sunday we started... Uh, a new sermon series titled Loving My Neighbor. And we've begun by listening to the very words of, of Jesus. Jesus' own words on the subject when asked about the greatest commandment. Jesus responded, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so for the next few weeks... We're considering what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we want to know, who's, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And what does it mean for me to love him or to love her? What does that look like? Today we want to listen to Jesus again. And where we do, Jesus, our Lord, makes implicitly, uh, he makes an, an, an implicit connection. He makes clear, he connects our neighbor with our fellow believer, with our fellow Christian. So who is my my neighbor? Well, you, brother. You, sister. You are my neighbor, fellow Christ follower, and I am, am yours. We're to love each other. Today, that's our focus. We're focused specifically on loving my Christian neighbor. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce, who was a prominent, well-known pastor and theologian in the 20th century. He uh, pastored uh, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years, for I think more than three decades at the latter half of the century. Listen to what he says about this truth. He, He wrote, he said, the vertical love of disciples for the exalted Christ, so our love, the love of disciples, of the of believers for the exalted Christ must be expressed horizontally in their love for all other Christians. He says, moreover, the, the horizontal love, which can be seen by everyone, is proof of the vertical dimension. Now, where in the world would he get such a thought? From Jesus. And so let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? John 13, verses 34 and 35. Let's hear from from Jesus. He says, He says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, would you pause with me? Father, we pray that you would, you would guide us now, that you would reveal your glory to us now, that you would show Christ to us now through the preaching of your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Jesus' words here feel rather 
straightforward and, and simple, right? Simple enough. Je- Jesus says his disciples are going to be known by their love for one another. So love one another, right? Out of obedience to Christ and for the sake of the reputation of Jesus Christ. Sounds simple enough, right? Listen to D.A. Carson, a well-known theologian and scholar of our day. When he reflects on this, he says, The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate. There's a reason our kids are with us today, right? It's simple enough for a toddler to, to memorize and appreciate. Profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, Jesus' words here take on an incredible depth when considered in the greater context of his message to his disciples on the evening of the Last Supper. That's when he spoke these words. A portion of Jesus' message and his teaching, often called the farewell discourse, recorded in John chapter 13, verse, uh, John chapters 13 through chapter 17, because this is Jesus' farewell message to his disciples before his crucifixion. Listen to how John, who's writing this, begins that section. He begins by noting that it's the week of the Passover and that that Jesus is among his disciples. And he says in John chapter 13, verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved them to the end. He loved them to the completion of his mission. He loved them to the end of his life, which is where he shows them how much he loves them where he shows them the full extent of his love for them. He's headed to the cross. He's headed to the cross, to Calvary, for them, for these. But before he goes, right, and this is what we're not reading this morning, but the context of this chapter, before he goes, with that instrument of torture on his mind, with the coming wrath and judgment of God and separation from the Father on his mind, weighing heavy on him. Jesus gets up from the table and he takes off his outer garment and he wraps a towel around his waist and he fills a basin with water and he kneels down and he begins to wash the filth and the dirt off his disciples' feet. Every single one of them. A, a lowly place, a place reserved For servants, the most menial task. It's not a place for kings. And yet the king of all kings stoops down and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. A tangible picture of what he's about to do for them spiritually. He's about to wash their sins away through his imminent death. But also an example of his humility and his love that he's calling his people, that he's calling his followers to emulate with one another. You see, Jesus calls us to love each other like He loves us. He calls us to love one another, to love each other like He loves us. That's the context of these verses. Christ's love for His people is on display. It's on full display among His people. And it's within that context. It's within that context that Jesus calls His followers to love one another like He loves them. Christian love resembles... Christ's love, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, Christian love demonstrates love for Jesus. In other words, horizontal love is proof of the vertical dimension. 
Jesus says a new command. I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is a command. Jesus says it's a new command. It's a command for followers of Jesus to obey. And so to hear it and to respond to it is an act of worship. In other words, it's not just about loving one another. It's also about love for Jesus Christ. It's an obligation, according to Jesus, for Jesus' people. As Carson says, it's it's the marching order for the newly gathered Messianic community. In fact, Jesus would drive that truth home. He would drive that command home, that admonition home, throughout this farewell discourse, giving this new command and then saying things like, listen to what he says. He goes on to say, if you love me, keep my commands. Jesus has just said, a new command I give you, love one another. If you love me, keep my commands. And then he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And taking it, driving it home once again in chapter 15, verse 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. See, our Lord heightens the love expectation between believers. In fact, in John's gospel, he draws a sharp contrast between the world and those who are in the world, the lost, unbelievers, and those who are Jesus' own, his, his people, his followers. It's as if Jesus is saying, love the lost living in the world, love them, but especially love my own whom I have saved out of the world. He goes on to say, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And by the way, in case you forget what that looks like, I'm I'm about to die for you. John, this disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how he often identified himself in his own gospel. He is to say he's he's captivated by the love of Jesus for him. He would later unpack this Christian love that's rooted in Christ's love. He would write in 1 John chapter 4, he'd say, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He writes this as, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, the new part of Christ's command is that love is based on and empowered by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. The command to love one another is not new. It's not new. But the newness is in loving one another as Jesus has loved us. Just consider for a moment what Jesus is saying here. Right? And he knows what's about to happen. And so in light of his coming, his quickly coming arrest and trial and crucifixion, Christ is saying that to love my Christian neighbor means to love him to the point of even being willing to lay down my life for him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what does this mean for us? Here's the deal, church. This must mean, this, this has got to mean that when I'm with a brother or sister in Christ... It's a safe place, and it's a safe space. A a place where I can count on giving and receiving the kind of love 
that Jesus, my Savior, has given to me. A safe place and space, get this, to, to disagree. Not on gospel issues, not on primary matters, for when that happens, according to the Scriptures, one of us better be quick to step in and say, no, that's, that's not right, that's... That's not the gospel. That's not what our Savior said. But it's a safe space to disagree on secondary and tertiary issues and to dialogue from differing perspectives about the sensitive stuff. Whatever happened to dialogue? Right? We, we live in a politically charged climate. I think you know this. We live in a climate full of opinion columns posted flippantly and constantly all over social media, consumed eagerly and uncritically by frustrated readers ready to silence those with differing perspectives and perhaps even at times ready to take up arms against those who refuse to be silenced. Oh, church, may it never be so among us. May it never, ever be so among brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Meadowbrook, may our bond in Christ be ever so strong that we stand together and that we stay together through storms and through struggles, through celebrations as well as sorrows. You see the old saying, if you can't say something nice, then don't say anything at all. Sounds great in theory, but let's be honest in perfect practice, right? It's either going to turn us all into a bunch of liars or it's going to leave us with some Pretty shallow friendships. I mean, picture this in marriage, right? Or parenting. If we never criticized, if we never corrected, if we never disagreed, right? If we only spoke encouragements and affirmations, there'd be no depth to the relationship at all. I'm reminded sort of off the cuff this morning of something I heard by my lovely bride this morning. Sunday mornings are a bit wild at our house. I know I've told you that before, but I'm usually up pretty early. And before I'm out the door, I'm saying, hey, everybody's got to be up. Time to go. It's Sunday. Let's get this, let's get this train rolling. And I remember uh, grabbing some things. I had woken uh, Ashley up a, a time or so, and encouraged her to get up, and she finally just said, you know, you're just so, you're so forceful, waking up, grabbing your keys. I don't even remember what you said. What did you say? You said, could you be a little more fluffy or frolicky, something like that? I'm not even sure what she said, but, but you know what? That may have not been something nice, but she said it nicely. You know, Jesus didn't always have nice things to say, but he always said what he said in love, because God is love. He, he is love. We may not always have nice things to say to one another, but whatever we say better be said nicely. Right? Our shared allegiance to Jesus means we can, and I think should, speak to one another about the hard topics, about the tough stuff, about the divisive topics of our day. Stuff like Politics and pandemics and vaccines, conversations about depression and divorce, wealth and poverty, racial injustice and disparity, public versus private education, sexual abuse, gender identity and homosexuality, styles of worship, millennial perspectives, even the color of the carpet. I'll keep going if somebody doesn't agree with me. Right? Through pandemics. And protests and presidential elections, we don't give up on each other. On the mountain 
top and in the valley, we lean on each other and we love one another. We can, may, and will disagree at times. But as a faith family committed to Jesus Christ and one another, we will continue to love and to care and to serve one another in ways fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. At our house, I've recently found delight in watching the birds and the squirrels come to this bird feeder in the backyard, and I was pretty excited. I bought a squirrel-proof bird feeder. I'm sure you've seen those. Some of you have those. Because if you don't, what happens? The squirrels come, and they not only eat all the feed, but they dump it all on the ground, right? Not worried about the squirrels. They're going to get plenty to eat. Much of that seed falls to the ground. So I've been watching, and this thing is working pretty good so far. We'll hope it continues. But there has been a squirrel, maybe more than one squirrel, but I noticed one particular squirrel that one day he would jump on that feeder and try every which way and every angle to get some nuts or some seeds out of that thing. He would try and then he'd fall to the ground. And I'd just watch him land on the ground, five or six feet off the ground. He'd land, he'd land. He did this four times in a row, right? Again and again and again. He's not going to give up on that thing. Again and again, the prize was worth the pain. In church, we're not going to give up on each other like a squirrel chasing a nut. We're going to chase one another in love, not giving up on each other. So don't be offended. Don't be alarmed if somebody calls you from time to time and says, hey, we've, we've missed you. Just checking in on you. Where you been? Hope to see you soon. Is everything okay? Don't be alarmed. Don't be offended by that. We ought to be doing that. We don't always do that well, but let's do that. Let's care for one another. Let's run after one another. Praise God Almighty that Jesus didn't give up on us. That He loved us to the end, John says. That he kept on loving us to the cross. That his spirit kept on telling us his gospel until we finally believed. Have you believed? Do you know his love? Have you felt his love? This love that led Jesus, our Savior, to get up from the table and to assume the position, the lowly position of a servant. And to wash the filthy feet of his followers. And then to say to them, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus calls us to love each other like he loves us. Why? Why does he do so? Well, perhaps for many reasons, but he tells us one of them right here. So the world will see his gospel through us. Jesus calls us to love each other like he loves us. So the world will see his gospel through us. Love for one another distinguishes Jesus' people from everyone else. That's what Jesus says. It distinguishes those who are in Christ from those who are in the world. A mark of genuine discipleship. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Do you love your fellow believer? Are you loving your Christian neighbor because Christ has so loved the both of you? Francis Schaeffer, another 
influential evangelical mind of the 20th century said, he said, love is the mark that Jesus gives to label a Christian, not just in one era or in one locality, right? But at all times and all places until Jesus returns. This is the mark. From generation to generation, place to place. This is the mark that marks Jesus' people from the rest of the world. They'll know we are Christians by our politics. No, it's not what Jesus said. No, we're Christians by our potlucks. You may know we're Baptists, but these are good things. No, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's how the world will know. And so may they see us. May our community and may this world see us, Meadowbrook, and know something's different about us, a care and a love and a patience and a concern for one another that reflects the very heart of the gospel. Jesus calls us to love each other like he loves us so the world will see his gospel through us. But Peter, Simon Peter, this leader of a disciple, responds to Jesus. A couple verses later in verse 37, he says, where are you going, Jesus? I'll go with you. Jesus says, no, you, you can't go with me. Not now. Jesus, Peter says, yes, I will lay down my life for you. Of course, we know how that story un, unfolds. Jesus says, no, Peter, your job is to love each other. And Peter's response is telling. One writer reflects on this. He says, Peter's reaction to all this is typical of our own. Like Peter, we insist on our own version of heroic spirituality. We are tempted to do something spectacular to prove ourselves, to rise above the average ordinary Christian and to distinguish ourselves in some special way. We nurture the need for approval and commendation in a self-preoccupied culture while Christ is calling us to humble foot washing. We, we want, he writes, a bold, audacious project that demands heroic sacrifice. Yet Christ calls us to care for an invalid parent or teach a fifth grade Sunday school class. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. You see, Jesus calls us to love each other like he loves us. So the world will see his gospel through us. So Meadowbrook, as we strive, right? As we strive to love our Christian neighbors this week. Here's what I'm asking of you and me. Here's what I'm asking of us. Last week, we said, let's spend time with Jesus every day this week. Let's pray specifically for a neighbor this week. How about this week? Share a meal with a believer from your church family this week. Share a meal. Gather around the table. Gather around a table. Share a meal with a believer from your church family this week. Share a meal with a brother or sister in Christ or a family in Christ from your faith family this week. Let's invite our Lord. Let's invite our Lord, the head of the church and the head of our church, the head of this church, to unite us together in Christian love. What does that look like? Well, go to lunch after church today. Or invite somebody, maybe somebody you don't even know. Somebody sits there, hey, let's go to lunch. Share a meal. Invite them over tonight to your home tonight. Sometime Today through next Sunday, share a meal with a fellow, fellow believer in your church. And I dare you, I dare us, to invite someone 
whom we hardly know. Not someone we share a meal with, often someone else. Let's let Christ's love be the bond that brings us together. Let's trust Jesus on this. Let's trust that there is something significant about the love believers share with one another. John would later say, he'd say, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Meal, no big deal. Papa says we should lay down our lives for one another. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, he says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So share a meal with a believer from your church family this week, and at that meal, do this, at that meal, share a need. Share a need. Share a need that you may have. Listen to a need that they may have. Share a need with a believer from your church family this week. We're called to care for one another in need, not simply to love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth, as our Savior did. That's the kind of love Jesus said that would distinguish us from the rest of the world. So share a need. Now, of course, let's use wisdom here. A new car? Not really a need, unless it really is. Right? Let's share with one Another, for most of us gathered in this space, certainly probably not all of us, but most of us in our community, in our context, is probably not a monetary need. But we have needs. A need for friendship. A need to belong. A need to be encouraged. The need for prayer. The need for someone to listen. The need for healing. The need for comfort. Share a need. And then, brothers and sisters, upon hearing the need of a precious brother or sister in Christ... Do everything that you can to strive to help meet that need. Let's share a meal. Let's share a need. Let's work to meet that need in a way that reflects the heart of Jesus. Right? In a way that builds up the body of Christ. In a way that captures the attention of a watching world in need of Christ. Let's share a meal, let's share a need, let's strive to meet that need. Let us not forget what our Savior has said to us. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Father, we bow before you today to ask you to lead us in that endeavor. Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, as we did last week, as we listened to your words, that we cannot love each other, not well, unless we know your love. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to impress the love of Jesus upon our hearts. Lord, stir us, guide us, lead us to even respond now that we might give you a place of supremacy in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Father, may your spirit work in us so that the overflow of that experience of your love is love for our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Characterize us by it. Lead us now, Lord, to submit to you. It's in the name of Christ and for the sake of Christ we pray. Amen.